Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, hostess with the mostest, matcha snob, and unapologetically bad at small talk. Seriously, tell me about your childhood. And I'm Joan Carnachon, queen of messy conversations, skincare junkie, and highly allergic to bullshit. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where together we will navigate the vital conversations that lift shame and shift paradigms. Our deepest desire is to normalize rewriting the narratives women have been taught about pleasure, money, power, sexual expression, and self-sovereignty. So join us each week for unfiltered, raw dialogue that educates, empowers, and hopefully entertains, or at the very least, makes the hard topics feel a little safer. And oh, by the way, when we say women, we are speaking to humans who identify with the divine feminine nature, non-binary royalty, our sacred sluts, the matriarch in the rising, and those of us who are still trying to figure their shit out. You guys know I love a good disclaimer, so here goes. We are not to be mistaken for doctors, lawyers, clinically trained psychologists, therapists, or your mother. But we are someone's mom. If you True. think this state is going well, subscribe to our show. And community means everything to us, so make sure to tell a friend or like all of your friends. Oh, got it. I got it. I'm clicking. Do I have your consent to record you? you? Oh my God. You have all of the consent to record. Consent is so hot. (laughs) (laughs) As we both rub our titties. Mm, Because we want to, well, I was actually, (laughs) I was literally about to say, you want to know something really fun? Oh, tell me. I feel like me getting my butthole turned wrong side out actually (laughs) fixed or improved my hemorrhoid. Oh, like real, huh. real life, like in real time. I think that happened. Wow. Is this yeah. something that you're prescribing people to try or not? Uh, no, no, not as a but professional. I will Maybe share, as a not as a professional, <laughs> definitely as a friend. Or I see the disclaimer before this episode started. I'm like, <laughs> this is not medical advice. Uh, no funny story, but I was definitely saving the share until after like anal August and all of the, the sharing and prompting for people to be having more butt sex. I had a very interesting experience. It was definitely a first in my erotic lifetime of going, Mike and I went away for a romantic weekend recently. And it was our first night away since James was born our first night together. And mm on top of me setting a lot of really lofty expectations and trying to put a lot on this one weekend, it was his Mm. birthday and it was our first time away. And I just wanted it to be such a romantic, sexy, like sensual weekend. And it had its moments, but overwhelmingly it was not that. (laughs) I think having just the underlying anxiety of being away from James, even though I knew she was totally safe. And she was great and had a great time that definitely got on my mood a little bit. And it made me testy and salty with Mike. And so I I picked fights and did all kinds of fun, creative stuff during that time together. But one of my big plans for the weekend 
in getting ready for all of the content that I've been sharing about anal August, I took along some Foria intimacy suppositories, mm. CBD, as I refer to them, the bliss bullets that make it all possible. <laughs> I took some along and I've been using those forever. We both have forever. I love for, how you call it bliss bullets. I've never yeah, would have bullets. thought that. <laughs> I mean, for me, the Foria arousal oil is liquid gold. Mm, so I yeah. love that you're calling it bliss bullets. Continue. Yeah. So the bliss bullets. So I use those the most. I love them for penetration of literally any kind. So we use them. I use them vaginally quite a bit, especially when I'm not ovulating, like those times during the month where natural lubrication is a little lower drier. Yeah. Really, really love them for that. So I took them along with the intent to have butt sex. And this is the first time we've done anal since James was born. And I definitely developed a pretty brutal hemorrhoid during pregnancy that just never completely went away. And for anyone who is super grossed out, you're more than welcome to leave, but also I invite you to be curious about the things that happen (laughs) in a woman's body and the price we pay for carrying children. Anywho. So I just decided to, to name her and Harriet, you know, keep her around. We, we talk, we're in cahoots. And so Harriet, uh, it typically is very chill, does not get in the way of anything. I have been able to play with butt plugs and all kinds of other stuff and had no issues, but I have not had Mike you know, in my ass since the baby was born. (laughs) And so I was really excited to try it. I was really just jazzed. That's like a super sexy thing that you don't have time to do because it requires care and foreplay and Mm -hmm. all of that. And some tenderness and lots of tenderness, lots of breathing, lots of relaxation, things that are normally not super accessible during the day-to-day experience um, at this moment. So we (laughs) get on this trip, we're out we're having a good time. We go out to dinner with a, with some friends, have a lot of cocktails and like two bottles of wine at dinner, a like 1990 sherry with dessert, like the whole day after dinner cocktails and all of the things. And we get back to the hotel. Mike's final cocktails of the evening were uh, espresso martinis, which, oh, which is so tasty. I got they, turned on with, Oh those. my God. They <laughs> are tasty. However, <laughs> dangerous. they are just the 30 year old vodka Red Bull. Like they are just, <laughs> like, and they just will fry your brain and send you into like totally uncharted territory for us yeah. because we get back to the room and I am definitely toasty, but not as much as Mike, but Mike is toasty and very awake, like incredibly Like It is late at night. I am ready to have some slow, sensual loving and go to sleep. And Mike is literally the fucking energizer bunny. And <laughs> that did not bode well for my asshole. Like, I'm just going to tell you right now, we have laughed about this and communicated very well around it since integrated the whole experience, but essentially it just the very, the state he was in versus where I was, was so interesting. And I felt that I had to constantly, I was just kind of like, all right, like you need to slow down. You need to slow down. You need to take some time. Gotta take some time. So when he finally got in there because of how magically the intimacy suppositories work at relaxing because it's 50 milligrams of CBD, mm-hmm. everything is super chill and relaxed and well lubricated. So he gets in there and that was almost to my detriment because things felt great. And under other circumstances, like not as much alcohol circumstances, I would have been more watchful and I probably would have had him reapply lube or, you know, like back off after a while. And we just went to town for like a long time, like (laughs) a really long time. And I do not 
remember, I mean, other than childbirth, I don't remember being in that much pain later. Um, got up the next day. I was like, I literally cannot walk. And it is not because you broke my vagina. It is because my asshole is like turned inside out. My hemorrhoid <laughs> was so angry, so pissed off, so incredibly inflamed. And I know, I mean, this is the epitome. This, the show is called nothing confidential. So you guys just do with it what you will. <laughs> I was so upset. <laughs> and also it was just the most hilarious. I was like, this is the most, like a product has never worked too well before. And so <laughs> that definitely happened, but the good news is, and so that is why I have started as I'm educating people about, you know, how to safely engage in pleasurable anal sex. I am also telling them to make sure that you are not under the influence because you need to be able to clearly communicate with your body first and then your partner and alcohol and other substances can make that really hard to do. So just be mindful of that. But the real good news is the Foria has you covered coming and going because they also re recently re released a relief suppository that is all of that plus a bunch of soothing stuff. And so I popped one of those bad boys in a couple of days in a row. And I swear to God, my hemorrhoid is better than it was before that happened to me. Like it is so it's like almost entirely gone. And I don't know how that worked. I do not have the science for you about that. And again, not a medical recommendation to go get your butthole turned inside out, but I just felt like that. But was if you want to really, try it. Yeah. I felt like that was really interesting. So I would not recommend that like pain to anyone or overriding your body or being generally irresponsible with alcohol. I don't recommend any of that. However, for a situation that was pretty, pretty gnarly, I am very pleased with the long-term after effects. And also this, <laughs> this episode is not sponsored by Foria. However, you should go and buy things oh, yeah. from them because they're mm -hmm. amazing. And if mm -hmm. Foria ever does want to sponsor a show, you know, that you're more than welcome. We both love you. Yeah. <laughs> In so many ways. But that's what's new with me. Just so you're up to date um, on my butthole. What's up with you, Joe? <laughs> well, my partner moved in. So that's a huge one. And while I thought I was out of boxes, I am living back around boxes right now and trying really hard to not freak the fuck out. Like I've noticed that my uh, anxious and OCD mind really requires a certain level of tidiness. And I'm trying to chalk this up to just my Libra rising because my Libra rising requires a certain aesthetic in the house just for pleasure and for pleasing of the eye. And so it's been really, really interesting to see how many times we've been shifting the kitchen counter to make sure that my grand rising feels really, really good. And we've just been really trying to integrate this, this like blended family, this new transition of our relationship. I mean, coming into this space, I've, I remember feeling worried about what it might do to not only our sex life, but just our dynamic as a whole. It's a whole new space to be, uh, you know, stepping into as far as like this phase of our life and this chapter. But so far, it's felt natural. Unlike, I mean, well, I guess in some ways, like with all that for you, all that was pretty natural for you. Um, so plant love you know, from within. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like to say that I use a lot of plant love from within when it came to this transition of really trying to like, well, fuck, like 
being on a lot of smoking, a lot of like cannabis, just to kind of ease my body into this whole space, just because it was just one of those, like, wow, what am I doing here? And also this feels really, really right to be in this space with him. Um, but it's been, it's been a lot. And also just like trying to navigate what it is to be a, like for lack of better words, like I I've used full-time mom on my Instagram one time. And somebody was like, you know, just, just to correct you gently and lovingly, you've been a full-time mom since day one. And I'm like, but this is different. Like this is, I have been a full-time mom, but I was a very full-time career oriented mom in the beginning of my motherhood career. And I had the support of, uh, the co-parent, the person who helped me, um, birth these kids or who, you know, helped, helped collaborate in, in the production of the kids. Um, and and now baby daddy, I'm like, how the fuck do I say this? Like nicely, but whatever. Thanks, Kristen. (laughs) But like now it's just, it's, it's really just like me taking the reins on the parenting role while inviting Chris as the, uh, you know, co-pilot in this, um, at least in this house. And it's been, it's been a journey. It's been interesting. And it's been one where, I think now in my late thirties, it's interesting to, I think, navigate this in this space, in this headspace, because you, you have more knowing there's a little bit more wisdom. There's also a lot of patterns. I think I need to, I'm, I'm breaking and, and trying to rewrite within myself. And also there's a lot of like adult negotiation of what that space energy relationship feels like. And then feeling that like shift of this fucking relationship it's one of those where I'm just like oh we're no longer just lovers like we are lovers cohabitating and cohabitating as as you know pseudo parents or like at least the parental figures in this house so that's just been what I've been navigating it feels a little bit like anal sometimes you know like it's pleasurable a lot of it takes a little bit of ease and trust and preparation. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Like, I mean, but it is, it's kind of relationship like, is like anal. <laughs> this phase of my relationship feels a little like anal. Hard We've fought up really won. well. Yeah. <laughs> We've thought really well up to this point and took a lot of, you know, slow steps to get there. Lots of breathing. And a little cannabis makes it all easier. So lots of things. A lot of CBD, a lot of plant-based healing. (laughs) I feel like you just walked us up to our, our topic today, um, in a very beautiful way. So thanks for that. Mm, Set us up for the dunk. (laughs) We want to talk to you guys about seasons within relationship, uh, Mm. particularly, particularly, particularly romantic relationships. Damn. I haven't smoked weed today, so I don't know. <laughs> don't know what that's about. Stringing some mango tea over here. You have any bliss bullets in your any I, holes? I don't. No bliss bullets today so far. Uh, <laughs> maybe later. But we've been talking a lot lately about friendship and motherhood and being in relationship with other women, and in our cases, particularly just community, other humans in this community. And we thought we would chat with you guys about just the different season within partnership, romantic partnership. And 
normalize some of the ebbs and flows because so many of the conversations we've been having with our people behind closed doors lately has really just been around the the shift, the shifting uh, in the relationship, the shifting of dynamic when, you know, people switch positions as bread or winner, for example, or when you have a baby and you become parents, or when you go through a divorce and welcome in a new partner or change the dynamic and the way in which you were with your partner, or when somebody moves in, like there's all of these circumstances that definitely change the way that we show up and feel within relationship. And I think that's something that definitely deserves to be more mainstream. So we're excited to just normalize kind of the seasons that we are in personally, and then just speak to, you know, maybe what that looks like, what each season kind of looks like in, in real life and what it's looked like in our, in our life. So yeah. The question that came up for me when you were talking, when you were finishing up your share was having Chris move into the house with you guys now, how has that shifted your erotic dynamic? Because before you very much, he was, there's every, we had buckets, right? It's like you have Mm -hmm. home and the girls motherhood and then work and then your relationship with Chris. And so like lover was its own bucket. And now Mm -hmm. he is a lover within all of your other buckets. So I'm curious what that looks like right now. I mean, a, I just love him in all of my buckets. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's welcome. All the buckets. He's welcome to all my buckets. Um, you know, it's been, it's been interesting as you were just asking that question. And I was thinking about how, Chris and I have had so many different iterations of our relationship. The The beginning of our relationship, we were long distance and I would see him maybe four to six weeks in between and, and for a good, maybe three or four days of chunk of time. And sexually, I mean, we were hot and just fucking all the time. I mean, granted, we were making up for lost time, literally from not being able to see each other and also oftentimes being in different time zones. So even our connections was asynchronous and he, he would, he and I would communicate using an app called Otter where it was just a voice meso, mes, memo app. Um, and he would, you know, do his little walks around a neighborhood of whatever city he was visiting and leave me kind of like an update. And I'd listen to it in the morning. Like it was, it was, it was really great. Um, so for anybody who has a long distance relationship, that's a really great tool to stay connected with your partner. Um, if that's currently your dynamic, but having him move in and shifting into this, um, it's been, it's felt really natural, which, you know, whenever anybody asks me, I always like take a pause to just integrate that statement because it's not one that I even felt with, you know, my husband, my ex-husband, like I didn't feel that our moving was this natural. And I don't know if I'm, if it's like maturity, I don't know if it's just our dynamic. Like there's, there's a lot of different things that can probably add to that. Um, but it's felt really natural. It's felt really great. Our sex life and our connection physically and intimately, like our intimacy has felt, we've noticed a shift, but it's, it's, it's different. I think what it is, it feels like it's gone deeper and then the roots expanded outwards. And so it feels, um, I don't know, like grounding, like it's just a different grounded energy. There have been moments though that I've noticed where I'm just like, 
man, like it's not as hot. Like the, the, the lead up doesn't have that same intensity that oftentimes you have when there is space, when there is that distance, when there is that time um, that you're not spending with each other. And these days we are, you know, literally living with each other and also in what feels like a tight space, even though there's plenty of space here, it's just that both he and I have really big personalities and two big personalities living under one roof with two other larger personalities, which are my kids. It's just a lot of fucking personalities. (laughs) I love that. And I also am just validating the realness of, of all of that. There is space has a lot to do with with the potency of, of eroticism and, uh, a metaphor that I like to use is like fire requires oxygen. Like if you, mm-hmm. so which is space in this case, it's yeah. like you have to have oxygen for it to exist. Otherwise it gets smothered and it smolders out. And so this is something that I actually, that I have a lot of experience in working with over the last eight, almost nine years of being with Mike. And also something that I have spent a decent amount of time working with new moms on, um, with my clients. It's not that everyone doesn't need this for sure, but I think when you go from, it's similar in the way that the roles, when you go from having space to having your partner involved in one more thing, but in a really intimate way where you're constantly communicating about something that has nothing to do with the two of you. And there's just like all of these life logistics and there's, there's just so much more admin involved between the two of you. So adding a kid, moving in any of, you know, all of these things that can suck up space and oxygen. Mm -hmm. And so then the fire starts to kind of like pitter out a little bit. And so something that Mike and I have been really working on lately has been creating that kind of space through spending our, our self care time apart and not choosing to do relaxing things together. Even if it's like, I'm going to go on a five mile walk and he's going to watch a show that I hate. And so we're going to spend our time (laughs) on a Saturday or Sunday where those are the only times that we really get to hang out together we're going to spend part of that time away from each other so that when we come back together, we have that chemistry and that friction and we can benefit from that. And the impact of that is so much greater on our relationship than if we had just spent a full Saturday and Sunday together, because it's the only time we have. And so sometimes it can feel counterintuitive, but that opportunity to make space for yourself and be with yourself goes a really long way. And something that I've started shifting around even our, our date nights. Cause we did not used to be good at prioritizing those. And it was something every time we hung out, we would talk about what we needed to do. And we always came to the conclusion that we needed to prioritize date nights. Like we need to go out every, every week, like we should, and it wouldn't always happen. And it still doesn't always happen, but I know we're getting better than, than we were, but having space between the day And the date is really important to me. And so I will make sure that I am ending my things with an hour and a half or so to spare before I have to go on this date so that I have time like I would have when we were actually dating or before we had kids or anything like that to take a shower if I want to, or do a quick workout or get in an orgasm or like go and get ready, do my hair, change my clothes, like really 
consciously end the day and create this new space for like sexy lover Kristen to come out instead of like CEO boss Kristen or mom Kristen, who's been carrying around that energy all day and just shift that up. And I, so we've started, I've started getting ready separately. Last time I played with actually taking stuff to my office space and my co-working space and changing at the co-working space. I didn't go home until it was almost time to leave for the date. So he got to go home and see James and hang out for half an hour, 40 minutes, changed his clothes. And I showed up and like gave her a kiss and we put her to bed and then we went out on our date, but I didn't come. And I didn't, there wasn't that time for him to come in and us fall into the same routine of like talking about work and talking about James and talking about all these things. It was almost like I cut off that Mm -hmm. so that we went straight into our date and we got to kind of start with fresh energy and that felt really good. So yeah, it sounds like just, yeah. Sharing that from just acknowledging how true it is that as you come home every day and you see that person in your space all the time and there's less and less space and there's less and less places to be individuals. There's a lot more us time and a lot less I time like that. That definitely causes a, a shift in the sexy, sexy energy. Yeah. I remember when, you know, the pandemic hit and working with my clients, one of the things that I would always tell them, which sounds like you created, which is uh, an, a time of demarcation right? Like when you are on top of each other, when you're constantly in each other's spaces, you lack this, you know, demarcation where it's just kind of that space in between or that void of just, just space. And so creating that demarcation is like super important, which reminds me of like having that more and more, especially when with everybody on top of each other in this space, I love that you have a co-working space because I recently just was like, I need a co-working space. (laughs) Like having both of us on calls in the same house feels too, um, compress it. Like it's too much compressed. It's a lot of compression on me. Um, especially with the work that I do with a lot of embodiment. And so same with you, like I decided to do a co-working space just to have that area to be able to have separateness because separateness is so important, but also to recognize too, like, I'm pretty sure you've experienced this, but like the seasons of your relationship, we were talking a little bit about this beforehand and just how in life, I think, especially with like Western culture, we're so, we're so uh, fixated on the idea that everything has to be fucking good in a relationship. Everything has to be in this like hot summer season where things are just constantly on the go. Everyone's into each other. Sex life is always good. That the moment when things start to shift into a different season, such as like fall where things are shedding and things within your own relationship are starting to settle in a little bit more you tend to freak out. Like people, people naturally freak the fuck out because it's like, here's a season of change, but we don't actually honor some of those. And so what I've been reading a lot about lately is in the Taoist tradition, you have um, just like the seasons of life, you have like seasons in in nature and, and those same seasons roll into your relationship. And so winter in a relationship is supposed to be this time where deep transformation happens. Everything happens below the surface. Uh, It looks like on the surface, like nothing is really growing. And then you have spring where things are starting to blossom. The seeds that you planted are starting to come out and be more fruitful. And then you have like summer, which everything is like super vibrant. Things are like buzzing. It's like literally 
fucking summer. And then you have fall or autumn where it's like that shedding, but we don't ever honor those like transitions and those moments where you just have to be in a deep winter. And I kind of feel like this relationship with Chris and I are heading towards this like winter, this time where we're having some really deep transformations, some things that we thought we would be coming into our relationship with is like starting to shut off. We're planting different seeds. We're making a larger, you know, we're creating a a different foundation for ourselves. It's exciting. And also there's that part of me that still desires that lusty summer and I'm learning how to sit with it, which there's moments where I'm like, fuck, like I really, really miss those times when we would have three or four hours where we can just like play and explore and like lean into our sexual expression in a way that felt alive for us. And I'm just trying to remember that this is just a season. So I'm pretty sure you've experienced that with your life a lot with Mike. Mm, I'm trying to think back at like my, my, my relationship with John, like, what was that like for me? But it was like 20 fucking years ago where it's like, I don't even remember (laughs) some of those moments. Well, and I think it's also interesting because the things that make what makes summer summer is the fact that you have to go through all the other seasons to get to it. It's like, if you had, if if it was summer all day, every day, always summer, wouldn't be summer, summer wouldn't matter. It wouldn't be any different because there's nothing else punctuating it's it's existence or it's, it's, you know, summerness. And even to what we were talking about before with the reason sex was so it's, it's so hot in the beginning is because there's this space for anticipation. There's this space to like build up ex, you know, sexy expectations and to flirt and to play. And then there's also an abundance of time to yourselves where everything is not like interlocked and intermingled. And so in our inability to recognize and sit with and honor seasons, we're taking away the very thing that makes the the potent summer, the sexy times, like so sexy, because if we were doing that all the time, it wouldn't, it wouldn't feel that way. And so Mm -hmm. I think that's where we get hung up because in the early days, you're like, yeah, all of our sexual encounters are hot and sexy, but we're only having those sexual encounters once or twice a week. Whereas when you live together, at first there's so much more access, which is exciting. And it's like, yeah, I get to have these experiences like every night now until you realize that, Oh, like some days you get home and you feel like shit and you don't want to get dressed and shower and do things to be appealing to your partner, or you don't want to go out to dinner, or you don't want to do these things that make you feel sexy and available. Like some, it's just, it all then runs together. And then everyone's there front row seat for the entire process. Instead of you being able to send a text and be like, you know, I'm not really feeling super well. Can we like see each other on Thursday instead of on Monday and like creating more space for you to move through those uncomfortable things that keep, that make you feel disconnected from your sexuality. Like we don't have the space to do that. And so instead of us recognizing that and just getting better at creating that space in our home with our partner, it then becomes this thing where you get into the bed, you feel like that, but instead of using that very clear language that you would have had to use in the text message, if you were dating, you 
you know, feel super rejected and butthurt because you made a move that you probably made every single night and they, you know, are like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm tired or, oh, I have a headache or, oh, whatever. And then you feel like rejected. And it's like, oh, how dare they? How dare they reject my my hot initiation, which was probably um, a hard penis in the back or a, you know, you want to fuck like that. It's oh like the God. creativity. Do you want to fuck tonight? Do you want to fuck? Do you want to? Yeah. Well, and I, I, you guys, I am so guilty of this. So I'm going to call myself <laughs> out right now. Do you leave the post-it notes of like, do you want to? Oh, that's no, a good idea. But that's a good idea. That's sweet. <laughs> that's not what I do. That is not what I do. Now I have in the past been known to go and put like a peach and like some emojis, a little great, like a, an eggplant in on the calendar. And it'll be like from seven 30 tonight. And I'll like put that on our joint calendar. So that he'll see it. And I'll be like, did you see my calendar? So like, I'll do that, but no notes are a good idea, but I I'm really guilty of planning, you know, because I mm. want, there's certain mm-hmm. things that if we're going to have sex, there's things I would do differently. So like, if we're going to have sex, I'm not going to put in my retainer that I wear every night to keep my teeth straight. Cause I'm not fucking wearing <laughs> braces again. I already did that as an adult one time and I'm not doing that again. And I, you know, if I want to use a Foria CBD suppository, I'm going to slip one in while I'm brushing my teeth. So that can be getting everything all loosey goosey and awesome. And then I might put a little extra spritz of something somewhere, which like, you know, I don't want to waste my expensive ass perfume when I'm going to sleep if we're not going to have sex, which that's just, you know, that's a whole other thing. But there's these little things, right. That you do to feel sexy and good. You might make sure that you're fresh and all of this stuff. And whereas if not, I'm going to pop that thing in and put on my pajama shorts instead of my shorty nightgown, I'm going to hop into bed and I'm going to read for a while until I fall asleep. And so there have definitely been times where I will be all prepped and I'm in the bed and I'm like, um, hello, like, are we having sex? Obviously I have done the things that indicate that I'm prepared for sex. Like, why are you rolled over pretending like you're about to go to sleep right now? <laughs> what is happening with that? Pretty sure I communicated as clearly as I could that I was down for sex. <laughs> and so it'll be, it's just little stuff like that. And I, I told Mike when we were out, we had a great date night the other night. And I told him that something I'm really working on is I wish that when I have an expectation that I potentially maybe 90% of the time have not even communicated to him, but if I have that expectation and then it isn't met instead of getting shitty and like punishing him and like really subtle, Mm. you know, like, Oh, like, Oh, whatever, like, whatever I'm going, we're going to bed, whatever. And like rolling my back to him and like reading and being really all about my reading instead of, you know, acknowledging that his, his exhaustion or whatever that he's brought up it's just, I have a hard time softening to that. And there's something, Mm. it's definitely my shadow, my shadow side who really loves to be fucking dramatic and likes to have friction in the relationship. So you have something to make up for later because we do get along really well a lot of the time. And so I think I literally construct moments where I let my feelings get hurt over things that they shouldn't be because I want kind of the drama of it in the relationship mm. almost. And that's something that I see myself doing and, it, and I'll be like, what are you doing? I'm like, stop. What are you doing? Like, he's being totally reasonable right now and you're being a butthole. But I, in the moment, I'm like, I can see myself doing it, but I, I don't stop. And so it'd be super, you know, I'll be sitting there like ready because maybe the night before he said, ah, babe, I'm like really tired tonight, but I promise like, I'm going to give it to you real good tomorrow night. Like, but can we just go to sleep tonight? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. And then in my head the whole day, I'm like, all right, but if he doesn't give it to me tonight, then I'm going to have an attitude because he promised that we would. 
And so I'll like prepare and get ready and I'll get in the bed and he's in the bed and it is clear that he is not about to give it to me a lot. Like he promised. And then I will get a fucking attitude and I'll be like, okay, well, and he's like, oh babe, you know what I'm like? No, like whatever, whatever, just whatever. We'll have it when we have it. And I'll like roll away from him and like make a whole deal out of it. <laughs> what part of you do you think that is? Like the part oh. that gets all antsy. And the reason why I'm asking is because I've been really into, well, it's just the things that I've been learning in school right now. It's it's all about attachment science. Mm-hmm. And so what part of you do you feel like that gets activated inside of you? You know, it's, it's really funny because part of it, I definitely have trauma adaptations around having low expectations so that I'm not, you know, so that I don't get disappointed so that I don't, you know, experience this stuff. And then there's the hopeless romantic side of me that always gets her hopes up. And then, mm. but then it's like, I'm going to pull, put on the full armor if I do get disappointed. So I'm open to letting good things happen, but if I get disappointed, I'm going to shut down like really yeah. hard. So that's the more serious side of it. But I really do think there is this in some of the, the shadow work I've done, like with the kind of the existential kink method, um, Carolyn Elliott's work is just recognizing that my shadow, I, her name's Veronica, like Veronica is just (laughs) really fucking into drama and she gets bored by Mm -hmm. constant sweetness and constant harmony and constant, like, because, and this is, this is an interesting channel to go down because in our society, we are taught that fireworks, like physical attraction, polarity, like so much of what is represented to us as a successful relationship is actually shadow relationship and trauma bonding Mm -hmm. because arousal and fear show up somatically the same. Your body goes through the same thing. And so, so often people are feeling activated by the person that they're attracted to and they're attracted to them because of a trauma activation and they are unaware. And so for a long time, like in my early relationship, early relationships, there was that, um, that friction, that chemistry that comes from the unknown and a little bit of danger, which is really good for polarity. Esther Perel talks about this all the time, but then whenever you establish that safety and that commonality and all of that, the things that a real relationship, the trust and intimacy can be built on that stuff is a lot less hot. And so Mike has always represented healthy love, healthy attachment, me not having to earn anything, me not like he didn't light up any of my trauma shit. And so there were moments very early in the relationship where I questioned whether it was the right relationship, because even though our sex was really good, he didn't make me feel like I was going to barf a little bit, which newsflash <laughs> is not a super healthy thing no. for anybody listening. <laughs> and it took me a while to unwind that. And so even now I can fully acknowledge that there is that, that shadow part of me that it, that totally links like passion with conflict where there's Mm -hmm. this, like, you have to kind of fight your, fight your way to it, where this, there's this like moment, this climax, you like blow up and everything is ridiculous. And it's like, oh my God, like, are we going to survive? And then it's like, I choose you overwhelmingly. I choose you. And that's romantic and that's hot. And then we have makeup sex. And so Mm -hmm. there's this like little dramedy that I like play out for myself when I get bored so that I can get that feeling. And it's, it's very much, I mean, 
I would very much compare that to, um, you know, issues with like caffeine or alcohol or, you know, other things where you're like doing something to be activated. It's like, I want a hit of it. And I know that it's not super healthy. And so I don't do it often, but I will like spin that shit out of thin air sometimes because I want a little hit of drama in my relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that you went there because I think one of the things that I know I've been really trying to understand within myself is my what I like to refer to is like my inner teen Mm -hmm. and she loves to fight. She loves to be a fucking brat about shit and she's useful in certain situations, but she's not always useful when it comes to things around sex or decision-making or any of those things. And so it's, it's beautiful to hear the awareness that you have on it. Cause I'm just like, what is that part of you? that's in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also for anybody who's listening to, it's like, that is what happens within our relationship containers. Like they are, they are designed to be our greatest teachers. They are designed to reflect back parts of us that need to heal. And also, I love that you talked about how you and Mike have a really safe, secure, established relationship, because I feel so much, so much of that in my relationship with Chris. And we always like talk about how you know, it feels so good to be in each other's arms. It feels so good to uh, have sex with each other, to make love with each other, to fuck each other, like in all of the different dynamics of those things. And I always like ask him, like, why do you think it feels so good? And he's like, I think it's because there's safety between us. There's, there's this idea of safety and we keep coming back to the concept of safety all the time when it comes to our relationship. And I love that you noted that in your relationship with Mike, because I think a lot of people, you're right. A lot of people look at, you know, the sparks and, and as you're describing this, the polarity of the dynamic that sometimes society tells us we need in relationships. The first thing I thought of is like, fuck man, like society and culture really teaches us that you know, makeup to break up sex is hot, but it's also really toxic. Like it is an actual toxic thing that happens in the body because your neurochemical, this is my fucking nerd coming out. Your, your neurochemical transmitters. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just put on my glasses really quick. Your Your neurochemical connection. (laughs) I felt the inner nerd come out. Like I was just like, Oh shit. There she goes. Come on out, Ronnie. Come on. (laughs) But yeah, your neurochemical transmitters are literally going crazy in your brain. You've got hits of dopamine, serotonin, um, all uh, uh, oxytocin going at in your body and fluctuating in your body when you are in a toxic relationship. And so stabilizing that your, your body is almost like unsure what the fuck that is, what the fuck that feels like. And kind of like tying that back into seasons, like when you are in a winter of your relationship and when there is stillness, learning how to sit with the stillness, especially if you've had trauma, especially if you had those trauma adaptations, like you mentioned before, or just have experienced a lot of toxicity in previous earlier relationships or early attachments can be very, very hard to sit into. And the only way to really heal that is to fucking sit in it. Yeah. Which is so frustrating. Well, and so uh, two things there, one pleasure is absolutely a function of safety, 100% mm-hmm. across the board. And that goes for one night stands as well as long-term partnership. 
the, the greatest capacity for pleasure can only be experienced within a safe container. And you can absolutely set those for short-term situations just as you can with long-term. So I, I want to call that out. And the second thing is something, and this is not PC at all, but something that I will tell my, when I'm talking about this whole like concept of shadow love and being addicted to it. And when we're recovering from this, what I talk about is imagine like, I have such a problem with shows like scandal, which breaks my heart to say, because there's a which, lot, which one's that one scandal. It's the show about um, Olivia Pope. It's, oh, God. Um, yeah. I oh remember God, I was like trying Kelly. to remember. I love Why Olivia can't I think Pope. of her name right now. I love Olivia Pope too. Why can I not think of the brilliant actress's name? Because oh the character, God. the character is so because good. She's Olivia Pope. Okay. Olivia Everybody Pope, knows yeah. everyone's screaming it at me right now. So <laughs> totally love, love her as an actress, but Olivia Pope, the fixer, she's got this hot and heavy off again, on again, toxic ass relationship with the president of the United States who is also married. There's like a whole thing. So this show, it literally called scandal because it is <laughs> scandalous. Scandal. It is. <laughs> It's a super addictive. Everybody loves it. I watched it for a while when I was younger. I did not end up finishing it because there were too many dynamics um, in the show that were very similar to a past and present relationship that I was experiencing mm. at the same time. And it made me feel deeply unsettled a lot of the time. And it also wreaked havoc in my dreams quite a bit. And so I had to stop watching it because it activated me. And, but the thing about it is there's all these people doing the shittiest of the shitty things to each mm. other nonstop. They're just all really attractive and really well-dressed. We are over glamorizing these toxic dynamics that in the real world, even between fucking, it doesn't matter. Forget everything I said before between me and Mike, if Mike did any of the shit that that guy did on that show that the president did on the show to Olivia Pope, I would run him over with my car and go to prison probably. Like it would yeah. not be something that is acceptable for anyone for to mm -hmm. receive. Like absolutely not. And so it's just breaking up with the Hollywood version, which, you know, that could be a whole, that will be a whole other conversation because we've gone off before just about the unrealistic expectations for sex, for female sex, sexuality, like during, and even, I mean, probably even I'm not as well-versed, but in other, in, for, for gay sex and for, you know, all of these other yeah. aspects of sexuality that we're getting still through pretty much the cis male gaze. That's mm. what is being represented to us on screen. And it doesn't fucking work. Like I went off on Bridgerton because there's no way that a virgin who didn't even know where babies came from or that she had an erogenous zone between her legs is going to come at the same time as her incredibly beautiful ripped black husband um, after 15 rapid thrusts. Like that's not going to happen. So yeah. just all of, all of this, all of this totally unrealistic, totally unhealthy, totally miseducational information that we're constantly being inundated with. We have to bring awareness to that. That shit plays out in our everyday relationships all the time. And we're just not aware. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I, I think about like, as you're saying that one of the things I th thought about was this music video and I don't remember the name, but it's, it's, it's probably around the same era of like, it's a thin love between a uh, thin line between love and hate yeah. like that movie where the woman um, or the singer in the song, like, I think puts her ex-boyfriend's car on fire, her boyfriend's car on fire. Like one of the, one of the things 
but like towards like the the middle of the music video they're totally making up and they're totally fine and it's one of those things that we romanticize this toxicity so much when oftentimes i feel like we should just romanticize the sustainable i mean for lack of better words but boring and healthy kind of love because i don't know I, i i remember this this one time i told chris i was like I have a deep fantasy of just, and it's not like, it's not a sexual fantasy, but I just, I want to spend a Sunday afternoon reading a book with you on my patio. And he goes, oh baby, this weekend's going to be that fantasy. I was like, shut up. Really? Like we get to sit and read a book. And that's how much of that safety, security, stability, boringness that I think I was craving in my life that I didn't have in my relationship with my ex-husband which, you know, now looking back and being able to reflect back at it and knowing now what is toxic relationship versus healthy relationship. It's like, holy fuck, I was living in toxicity for a very long time because I was so used to it. And I remember also being that person. And yes, I'm going to call my, my, my ass out on this one, but being that person whom constantly talked about my relationship with John. I'm just like, we've got plenty of ups and downs, but we love each other. And that is very true. There is a lot of ups and downs and there was a lot of love there and, and still trying to find my way back home to the idea or concept of what love is now between he and I, in terms of just this space. But it's, it's, it's so indicative of the conditioning of what culture and media tells us is what love is supposed to look like and what relationships are supposed to look like. Yes. 100%. And there, I have literally, there have been movies and shows and people, well-meaning people who are very educated experts who have made the, the statement or the comment. I know you've heard it a billion times where someone will say, Oh, well, I don't, me and my SO don't, we don't ever fight. Like we don't really fight and everyone will get very concerned and the room will get quiet. And there's other people who will say, Oh, I wish that I fought with my ex-husband. Like I wish that I cared enough to fight. And it's almost like fighting in a relationship is the indicator that there's something worth fighting for. And so there's this Mm. emphasis put on there's value put on conflict in a relationship and what needs to be reframed immediately. It's not the fighting that's helping you. If the fighting leads to, first of all, we need to examine conflict styles, but if the fighting leads to softening vulnerability, somebody cracking and clear communication and truth telling happening, which is often that in the best case scenario, that's what happens after an emotionally draining and unnecessary process that's the value that it brings that it facilitates hopefully, which we can all learn to do without fighting and screaming and, and making the other person feel wrong or, you know, going into trauma adaptations. So the, the, the safety, the goal is not to fight. It's that your relationship, you value your relationship enough to get vulnerable and prioritize creating safety where you can open up and where you can communicate and where you can share and where you can have discussions. Mike and I, we do not fight. We talk about how we have spirited discussions and there are times, <laughs> you know, that voices are raised and things like that, but overwhelmingly 
so much of our communication, it can be really hard and it feels really terse. And if somebody walked up to our table, they would think that we were negotiating a like really expensive contract and that we're not (laughs) material fans of each other. Like they might get that sense. They're like, these people are not on a date. They're doing something very intense and very serious and they don't like each other that much. But there's no, you know, there's no cheap shots. There's no screaming. There's no, you know, none of that. And so I just think we have to normalize like you said, I love that you said we should romanticize like boring, healthy, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't even like, I just, one day I would like to get away from even calling it boring. And it it just is so indicative of the fact that none of us know how to sit still. Like we all want to be entertained. And if we're not being entertained, we're bored. And there is so much talking about the winter season. There's so much rest available that is also needed so much recharging, so much re connecting, going inward and reconnecting with yourself. Because during these seasons, we are all changing too. And that's the other reason why we can get really wistful and nostalgic and look back on our early relationship and say, Oh man, like I really miss the way we used to have sex and the way we used to connect and the way it used to feel. But the truth of the matter is it, it, all of those things were because you were two different people. Like Mike and I are different people now than we were then. And that doesn't actually, I mean, I would say we're more technically skilled as well as, you know, when it comes to sex straight up than we were then. And being able to look through the lens of where we are now and recognizing how so much of our connection and our way of being and kind of the volatileness of it that made it feel like spicy and hot that was us working through our shit and working yeah. through our trauma adaptations and working through these lower vibe ways of being that we have since grown out of. And so mm-hmm. being able to see that for what it is and stop romanticizing past versions of your relationship, I think that's super fucking important too. And winter just, I love a good winter now, you know, not, it's not to say that it's always amazing. It's, it's not always fun, but there is something to be said. There is something to me deeply romantic about knowing the vastness of your relationship container. So with Mike, who I, um, what we talk about being con, you know, I'm consciously monogamous with, I've, I've picked him, I've married him in a pretty traditional sense. We don't have any other partners or anything like that at this moment, but just understanding that I picked him and this relationship container is as big as our forever, essentially. And so you can have a winter without stressing that there won't be spring because Mm -hmm. you know that you've committed to this for the long haul, as long as everyone is showing up as their highest selves and learning and being vulnerable to breaking open and, and continuing to grow and evolve like that's something we're committed to. And so knowing that there is the space to go through these ebbs and flows and these like peaks and valleys together and know that there is always a point at which you come back out again and you get to rediscover each other anew after that time, there's something deeply romantic and comforting to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like going inward is so healthy, right? Cause we talk a lot about this with probably our, I'm I'm sure we talk a lot about this with our clients, but the best way to have the best sex, love and relationships in your life is to start creating and cultivating that within yourself. And winter 
oftentimes in a relationship container is a good time to go inward within yourself to see what are those parts that you want to transform, transmute, alchemize, and then grow so that your relationship container, especially if you look at if you look at your relationship as like a garden, this is, this could give a really good visual for people. But if you look at your relationship as a garden and you two or three, or however many are in this relationship are the gardeners, like what are the plants that are in your garden? What are the seeds you are, you are growing together? How are you tending to that? And if you can look at that, that way, it gives the ability to understand seasons a little bit better. But also um, seeing yourself as your own individual plant in that container and needing to go inwards also is like something that's like super useful. Absolutely. And the co-creative dynamic is only as strong as the energetic input of both individuals. And so understanding that you are so responsible for what you bring to that dynamic and that can feel frustrating if you believe that you are doing everything it takes and your partner isn't, and that is a different conversation. Yeah. But I feel like so often when we feel like a victim of our circumstances or like something like our relationship that we're not happy with happening to us, there's always an opportunity to look at where we've become passive and where we are not investing in ourselves and where we have lost sight of who we are as individuals and what matters to us and what makes us happy. And we have not communicated, communicated those things, or we have stopped asking for those things. And we've stopped showing up in a way that, you know, makes the other person want to meet us at that frequency. And that is not at all to be blaming of someone who's going through a hard time right now, but that is just to encourage you to just take, take a, take a step back and take a deep breath and just see if you can shift your perspective and ask yourself what you can be doing to make yourself feel sexier, to make yourself feel happier, to make yourself feel more grounded because that energy floats up and out. Right. And your partner is going to be so attracted to that. And there was so much about your initial connection that was around them being so drawn in by your individuality and your vibe and who you are as a person. And so, so often what happens is, you know, we have big changes in our life that can momentarily have us lose sight of who we are as a person. And we stop showing up as an individual And that can lead to um, just a feeling of disconnect. You know, one thing that was thinking about this and um, while you were talking is the, the essence of us, Um, Chris and I, when we were in Joshua tree in our last trip, which we always seem to go back to the desert, like the desert has been our place to go for the last almost like a year, March, March, 2020 was when we first went to uh, Joshua tree and we've been back four different times. And before we came back home, our last trip was like our, our trip before cohabitation. And it was also the trip where we talked a lot about what we are looking forward to with cohabitation, what our fears were around cohabitation, what this might mean to change, like what, what this change would mean for us. And the one thing that we talked a lot about was, um, well, besides like the finances, besides the responsibilities, and then also the shift in power dynamic, we also came back to the question of what is the essence of us and how do we come back to the essence of us? And so I'm curious uh, between you and Mike, like what is the essence of who you are? And there's no right or wrong answer. I'm not looking for anything in particular, but I think 
I think it's valuable to, to, for, for others, for listeners to hear like, what is your essence? I love, how do you come back to that? I love, love, love this question. And the essence of us is play like, Mm. like playful shit going sideways. Nothing ever works out. Like nothing has ever worked out like the way that we planned it or wanted it to. And there is, there has always been this ability to laugh at shit going sideways and all the best things happened after that. And so being in this space of resilience, like resiliency and being open to possibility and play, which right there will tell you any, all of the struggles that I have, those can be very hard states for me to get into. And Mm -hmm. I feel that it may be easier for Mike. And I, that's me speaking for him. Uh, I would love to ask him that sometime actually, but (laughs) I feel that he is easier with just going with the flow, which helps us get to the second part of the experience faster. But typically what happens is shit goes sideways. And then Kristen also loses her shit. And then Mike is like, no, let's go with the flow. And then I'm like, how dare you not validate my feelings? And then I'll realize he's right. And I'm wrong. And then I'll say, okay, let's go with the flow. And then something good happens. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I think getting back to that is just being willing, being willing to chalk up the loss, knowing that something better is going to come along. And it's almost putting myself in those positions where, and I'm seeing this big picture on a cosmic level, like for the first time. And so I am grateful to you for this um, (laughs) facilitation. Like when I met Mike, he very quickly, he he was making fun of me when he said it, but he was, he's like my mantra for you. Cause he knew that I was into all those things. He's like, I have a mantra for you. It's don't let it ruin your day. Like when shit happens, Don't let it ruin your day. If you've been talking about a macadamia nut milk latte for three days and they don't have that milk when you show up, because that is what happens to me. Don't let Very it ruin your day. Very specific milk. It is. Don't <laughs> let this is out of me. Don't let it ruin your day. And a perfect example of this is the date we were on the other night. We went out and we went to a restaurant that we really love and got, you know, one cocktail and immediately got into, because life has been very busy and we haven't had time to connect in general, not just like romantically, but in general, Yeah. immediately started talking about like work, business, life, admin, all the things. And then like got into it on something that we have not had the space to work through or talk through. And immediately I could feel my energy sinking. Cause I was like, all I wanted was like a romantic date night with you. And here we are like fucking arguing at the table. Like the people, like the wait staff is (laughs) keeping their distance from this table because the intensity can be felt across the room as we work through something hard and I was ready to call, call it a night. I'm like, well, this is the shittiest date anyone ever had. Let's just go home. And then it started pouring fucking rain. And we <laughs> walked, we like parked a block and a half away and walked. And I told Mike, he should just wear his new leather shoes because they're sexy. And it's so he immediately is like, oh my God, my shoes are going to get ruined. <laughs> it's like, fuck. I'm like, oh man. And so I'm like, I wasn't wearing leather footwear, but they, I had heels on and I was like, well, this is horrible. And it was dumping, dumping, dumping. So we finished dinner, we get the check and then I have an idea and I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm like, we are going to take off our shoes and we're going to run for it because like I, and I hadn't told him what I had planned, but essentially my co-working space is really shishi and we have access like until 2 AM in the morning, like mm. two o'clock in the morning. 
And it also has temperature controlled wine lockers so that if you nice. ever want to entertain clients or anything like that, you can keep your own stash of, you know, wine and stuff. And so I had bought a couple bottles of like our favorite, some of our favorites and like kept them in my little locker. And my co-working space was literally 293 feet from the restaurant. And so <laughs> I, he took, we took off our shoes in the restaurant. He gave them to me and I wrapped his leather shoes under my jacket to keep them safe from the rain. And we went like dashing out of the restaurant and ran down the street to this co-working space. I let, let us in. We're soaked through cracking up. I go, you know, and then I with a flourish because he hasn't been in here yet. I go into my locker and like produce a fancy bottle of wine and like put, you know, Kings of Leon on the, the overhead <laughs> music. No one's here. There's a bunch of like overstuffed velvet couches. And so we're just like sitting in here, cracking up, drinking a bottle of wine. And it ended up being the most fun date we've been on in a really long time. Yeah. And it's just being open to whatever comes after the carefully laid plan has, has fallen through. So I think play is, is the essence of mm. us and, and just like new experiences being outside of our comfort zone where I'm not controlling everything and where, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. When we, when we, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. When we thought about that, when we were in the desert, like there was, we knew that coming into this chapter, was going to be a lot of change. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've taken, I've taken the kids full time. Um, they're only spending two weekends a month with John as of right now. Uh, and that's indefinitely, uh, until, until it changes. And with that, we just knew that like it changed everything about what we thought our relationship would be post-divorce. Meaning that like, I thought I would have the, the kids 50% of the time, which meant that there would be an ability to still grow and foster the relationship or the coupledom that me and Chris had. And also the relationship I was having with myself in terms of going into this next chapter, thinking I would have uh, my business going and all this other stuff when reality is I'm like, oh, you're just sitting. You're in this state of sitting. And one of the things that we said was the essence of us feels like this desert. Um, and trying to, you know, in the future, create spaces in the home where we can recreate the sense of desert in the house again. If that meant cuddling up on the couch, if that meant putting all the fucking lights in this house a certain way so that it looked a certain way and taking out the little star lamp that we have just so we could feel like we're underneath the desert and have those slow nights that we can just talk and talk and talk about whatever underneath the stars literally um, was coming back home to the essence of us. And there is like, no, like, I love that you were very concise about your word. And for me, it's just like, for me, it's just this feeling of literally being underneath the stars in the desert where time can just pass. And it feels like also time hasn't passed. Like there's just stillness there. And it's kind of beautiful because it's just kind of going back and helping me reflect on just, just what we look and look at and look for in relationships. And I'm like, oh my God, I love, I love the stillness. I love that like Chris and I can just be, just, just be, there's no being, there's no verb to it. There's no action. It's just, we get to just sit and be our weird ass fucking selves, or we get to do, but it's just the beautiful thing about who we are with each other, which I absolutely love and always want to cherish as much as I possibly can. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. 
Yeah. And I just want to encourage all of you listening to take Joe's question to heart and think about that for yourself, no matter where you're at right now, like what is the essence of us, of you and your partner, your relationship? And what is one small step, even if you're feeling kind of stuck, if you feel like you're wintering, like what's a little thing you can do to bring you back to the essence, to reground you in what makes you great and what helps you really enjoy and see each other. I think that's, mm. that's gorgeous. Thanks, babe. Mm. You're welcome, babe. I think we should call mm. it. That felt good. I think we should call it. All We'd right. love to hear your guys's, you know, what is your essence? Yeah. So if you guys want to share that with us on the gram mm-hmm. or wherever yeah. in the comments, I think it's, I think it would be really, really beautiful to, to witness and see just from our community and our family here of like, what is the essence of your relationship? Because if we can cultivate that type of thinking around relationships, then maybe we can slowly get away from what we thought relationships are supposed to look like and get into what relationships are supposed to feel like. Mm -hmm. And then that way we can really sink and ground into love, healthy attachments, security, and lots of creativity and play. Mic drop. We love (laughs) y'all. See you next time. Thank you folks so much for listening. If this conversation tickled your fancy, opened your mind, or gave you permission to simply express yourself a little bit more authentically, share with a friend, rate us on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 